will dismiss our children to Children's Church. Brother Mike and Miss Kathy are going to be leading them today, and so good luck, Brother Mike and Miss Kathy. God be with you. Y'all are quite the sight. <laughs> Isn't that a good song? I'm who you say I am, it says, right? It starts out with, who am I? Like, I don't deserve it. That's our posture. We understand that. That should be our posture before the Lord. But the Lord speaks a better word than what you can speak to, you, to yourself, right? He speaks a better word than that shame and condemnation he speaks that word that says, uh, I am your father and you are my child. And I love you with an everlasting love. You're my prized possession. I delight in you. Have you like lived this week with this mindset that when you woke up in the morning, God wasn't gritting his teeth and going, oh, you again. But God was smiling over you. I delight in you. You're my child. Listen, I know that there's a lot of things that you and I do that make us feel like he doesn't delight in us. But that's not the word that God spoke over us. Spoke, I love you, and I want to forgive you, and I want to heal you. And it's when we start there, when we start receiving that, that actual transformation takes place. Now, the great thing about Romans 8, speaking of Brother Mitch, is it starts out with there is no condemnation for those who walk in the Spirit. What is walking in the spirit first and foremost? That is accepting that God loves you with an everlasting love. So much so that he put on flesh and blood. And he didn't come living this uh, quote unquote victorious life. He, he lived the life that most, of, most people would scoff at. And people did scoff. And out of his love, he, 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 he carried that and he endured it. And he went all the way carrying and enduring shame and reproach and condemnation to the cross. And then he buried it. He buried it deep. And what came forth was, was new life, righteous life, everlasting life. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Y'all join me in a word of prayer this morning. Maybe just before we pray, you get an image of God the Father smiling down on you. His tender eyes looking at you softly with delight. Smile on his face, arms open. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you speak a better word. Uh, scripture says your blood speaks a better word than that of Abel's. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. The blood of your son, Jesus, cries out for mercy, for forgiveness. Your spirit speaks a better word than we can speak about ourselves, Lord. We do believe that we are undeserving. There's no way we could ever 
get you to love us. And Lord, there's a weirdness. There is a truth in that because there is no way. There's nothing that we could pay. There's no merit that we could. Uh, there's nothing that we could do to merit your love. But Lord, the, the other truth to that is there's no need. Your love is free. It's given. It's gift. It's grace. You're not stingy. You're glad-handed. Some would say you're even prodigal with your love. Because you wasted on folks like me. But you know your love is never wasted. Thank you for your love, Father. Be with us this morning. Be with us as we, uh, as we strive to trust in abundance. And resist the ideologies of scarcity. Uh, I pray these things, Lord. I pray also, Lord, that uh, however you need to meet with us and minister to us, we will be open. Whether it is for encouragement, comfort, correction. To open our hearts and our minds to trusting you for the first time or to renew our trust in you today. I pray that you would move and you would work. We pray these things in the mighty resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. So a few weeks ago, uh, as I was sitting before the Lord and, you know, kind of weighing uh, who we are, where we've been, where we're going, as we've been talking about uh, Friendswood Baptist Church. And if you don't know the history of our church, uh, just give you like a little brief um, insight. Um, 2023 was one of the strangest, hardest years uh, for Friendswood Baptist Church. We, uh, we lost a lot of beloved people to death. Um, some people um, moved on from our church to other churches, and um, and um, and so we've been kind of like reeling through this like uh, just loss after loss after loss. And in the midst of it, there's been this vibrancy, there's been this beauty, there's been like new things that have come along. Like we've had this weekly connect that in our in our connect cafe, and and and, and wonderful things have been going on there, and. Um, and then we, you know, we've been able to do some new initiatives. We had our discipleship intensive. We're going to have another one next week. Uh, one of the things that made my heart glad was uh, a few weeks ago, Miss Felisa came to me and said, hey, we want to have a, uh, Danielle and I want to start a Bible study. Well, we want to do a Bible study to hold each other accountable. And we said, we'll just invite some others to join us. And they said they're going to do it like the, the second Tuesday of each month. And they had that, or second Saturday of each month. And they had it yesterday, their first one. And, um, and, and I can tell you this, like, like my pastor's heart like grew three times that day whenever she came to me because it wasn't one of those things where she said, you know what we should do? Oh, should we? Um, which puts pressure on me, to be honest with you. And then I feel like, oh, no, I'm failing and I'm not doing all the things that I can be doing or we're not doing all the things that we can be doing as a church. And, and they said, no, like we're not going to we're not going to shit on anybody. We're just going to go and we're going to go and take care of it and take ownership. And they had eight ladies there yesterday. And that was awesome. And they had a wonderful time. And so I commend you and I thank you. And, um, and, and really, tr to truth be told, like it's, it's stuff like that that has like really filled my heart so full and given me strength and energy. Um, but I've just seen these these vibrant things happening in the midst of all these hard things, all these sorrowful things. And so I was meeting with the Lord and, 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 and you know, whenever you start losing people, when you start losing resources, uh, well, you start going into like this, you know, how do you fix it mode? Like that starts kind of going in. Like, how do we fix it? How do we, how do we remedy things? And what are we doing wrong? All these kind of things start floating through your heart and your mind. And, um, and uh, you really start getting into, like, you can get into a scarcity mindset. You can get into this mindset. People are leaving your church to go to another church because they have this program or 
you know, whatever, this other offering, then you can go like, oh, man, well, like, we don't have it, you know. Oh, we need to get it, and, you know, and, and those types of things start coming into play. And, um, you know, and then you start looking at practical uh, resource matters like finances and things of that nature. And you start going, okay, no, you know, like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make these things work? And, 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 and out of this, this scarcity mentality, there's a couple of things that can happen. For one, there's fear and anxiety that rises up. Oh, no. Oh, no. If you're not careful, then that, those anxieties can take over. And these are things that I have to guard in my own heart. Um, but in, there's another thing in scarcity mindset, and I think it's, it's, uh, it, it's probably, it, it goes along with those fears and anxieties. And it's instead of, instead of being generous and glad-handed, you can become kind of like self-preserving. And you start saying, okay, well, we get, we're going to watch out. You know, the resources are thin, so we need everybody. You can think about it ministerially. We need all the people to work here at Prenzel Baptist Church. You know, we have ladies who every Monday they go and they work with our friends at Friends Church. And they, um, they prepare for the shower ministry. Uh, it's a homeless ministry. They, they take some shower trailers down to Houston and they... Uh, they provide showers for the homeless, and then they give them a fresh pair of clothes. I mean, that's you know, new, new, new drawers, uh, new socks, right? And, 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 and new to them, but use donate, donated items as far as uh, pants and shoes and belts and things of that nature. It's a beautiful ministry, and, um, and, 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 and just the thought process of this is we have people in our church who go, do that with others in another church, which is beautiful. But if you are in a scarcity mindset, you might go, oh, no, what if they start hanging out with them and then they end up over there? And, oh, oh, no. All hands need to be on deck here. Y'all tracking where I'm going with this scarcity mindset? How you can become self-preserving? Start looking inward. And as I was meeting with the Lord... The Lord just, like, I mean, there's so many beautiful things that I've been able to experience with the Lord. Um, uh, just meeting quietly with him, sitting before him, like I talked to you all about last week. Like, just going, hey, God, I don't even know the word to say. I need you to give me the word. What do I need? I have my perceived needs. I, I, I trust that you know what I really need. And in that moment, what the Lord revealed to me was what you need is rest. You don't need to try to figure it out. You don't need to shoulder the, the, the burden on this one. You, you need rest and you need to allow me to heal you. And I've told y'all as a, as a pastorally, I believe that's where we are at as a congregation a bit, is we need some rest and we need some healing. You don't go through a, a year like we went and you, you can't just skip along. You can't just hop two to the next. Well, the calendar turns, so... Let's just move on. You have to allow God to give you rest. And that's something that we're not good at, truth be told, right? Because, again, instead of coming and saying, hey, I, you're my child and I love you and I delight in you, we kind of have this image of God like, hey, I, I, I put up with you, but there's more that you need to get done. If you're really going to make me happy. You know, we read these, these texts like, be still and know that I am God. And we can't ever come before him in stillness because we think he needs a lot of words from me. He needs an eloquent prayer. He needs me to think about all the people that I should be praying about. Did I, did I, did I? We become anxious over our prayers. Did I pray for all the things I need to pray about? And you walk away and you're like, oh, no, I forgot to pray for Ukraine. Oh, God. And then you're like, God, please forgive me. for. It's like, no, thank you, God, for bringing this to my heart, my mind. Y'all ever feel that anxiety that way? Even before God, like you can't just, he says, be still and know that I am God. And we're like, no, 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 no. But you need a lot from me, don't you? No, no, no. I need you to be still and know that I am God. Which is to say, to be still and know that you are not. I am not God. 
But he said, like, I, I, I need you to rest, and I need you to receive healing. And so in this season, we're choosing to rest and to seek his healing. And, and let me just encourage y'all, well, let me ask you, did you take time this last week? Did you take time to go before the Lord and say, God, I don't have anything to bring to you. I just need you to minister to me. I need you to heal me. I need you to bring the rest that my heart needs. And if you didn't, there's an opportunity before you each and every day that is called today. But as the Lord began to kind of unfold some things, just the idea that, like, He's not a God who deals in self-preservation, but in self-giving love. And he's not a God who deals in scarcity, but a God who deals in abundance. And so he's invited me and, and I think us at this season to, to trust in his abundance. To trust that he's not a God who, 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 who has a scarcity mindset like I can get sometimes. And that scares me, and that fear, and that anxiety. No, what's going to happen? He's not up there wringing his hands. He's not a God who goes, oh, no, I don't know if we're going to have all the resources, so let's, let's pull them all together, and let's hold, them on, hold on to them tight. Let's take care of ourselves. So, He's inviting us to trust in his abundance. And today, I just wanted to bring us to a text in which Jesus proclaims abundance. And he proclaims abundance to those who are in scarcity. Like the people that he's proclaiming abundance to, like it's such a juxtaposition because he, he says this, 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 hey, he pours out this blessing Upon those who you were like, no, there's no way that they're blessed. And so he proclaims this abundance over those who are in scarcity. And today I kind of want to talk about what that abundance is as we read this text. And maybe you already know the text that I'm going to, but it's going to be in Matthew chapter number five. And we're going to pick up in verse number one. And of course, if you know scripture you know that this is that famous sermon that has been entitled the so-called it's a sermon on the mount uh, in luke you have kind of a parallel to it it's called the sermon on the plain sometimes people will look at things like that and be like look man the bible contradicts itself it says that jesus said it on a mountain over here it says they said it on a plain over here we have to remember jesus was an itinerant preacher and they didn't have twitter and they didn't have podcasts and they didn't have live streams and so he probably said the same things in multiple places does that make sense? Is that a much better theory than they just got it wrong? You know, they got the details wrong. He probably said the same thing over and over and over again. Mark would, would, uh, would summarize his teaching in, in Mark's gospel is that Jesus went and his message was this, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That summarizes what Jesus was preaching about. Sermon on the Mount is one of those things that expands that teaching, right? And I want us to think about this before we read it. We know that uh, he, it says, uh, sets the setting in, in, in verses 1 and 2 that Jesus, he, he saw these multitudes that were, that were coming unto him, and he goes up into a mountain, and when he was seated, and, and y'all probably have heard this before, like, um, instead of, uh, in those days, the teacher standing in front of the group, the teacher would sit. And the group might sit too, but they might stand around the teacher, but the teacher wasn't made to stand. I think y'all would probably benefit if I sat a little bit because I wouldn't be moving around so much. Uh, Brother Mike always says, like, uh, you know, like whenever I'm pacing around, he gets nervous, I think. I think yeah, he, he gets a little nervous with me sometimes. And so, um, like last Sunday, he left. He goes, well, you got calm and you stopped walking around the stage. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, if that soothes your heart, that's good for me, brother. You know, um, uh, but, uh, but he sat down and it says that his disciples came unto him. And, and, and as we have this problem when we read the text, 
we always read it, especially in our American mindset, which is that rugged individuality, right? Where we highlight individualism over community, over neighborhood. Um, uh, we, we, we tend to read these texts and go, oh man, like he was just like isolating people. And instead of seeing like a group gathered to him and him uh, equipping and encouraging this group of people who were going to work together, it's like we see them as a bunch of disparate individuals because we see ourselves as a bunch of disparate individuals, unmoored, unconnected too often. But I want us to think about it like this. It's not just even his disciples because sometimes that has this, uh, this idea of like those early first followers. Let's just say this, like his church gathered unto him. And this is a message to the church. And I'll just tell y'all like a little quick thing. One thing that I've been challenged on about this is, uh, and, and this, you know, spirit like spoke to me like last year was, you know, like uh, just for instance, Jesus says, you know, whenever you're generous to other people, don't go brag about it and don't go boast about it. Because if you do, then that's the reward. Like whatever praise man gives you, that's the reward you get. He says, actually, you shouldn't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And we live in a, in a capitalist, consumerist society. And what happens with churches is they, we can't, we know we can advertise the good that we're doing. And so churches do. And they go, hey, look, we went and fed all these people. Look at us. And the Lord said, hey, if I don't want, if it's not good for the individual, it's not good for the group, is it? Yeah, we can get praise that way. People can look at us and go, oh, my goodness, look at what they're doing over there. But is that the way that we want to get praise or is that the praise we want to get? So I want us to think about this as him talking to his church. And this morning I would say he's talking to, we could say he's talking to his church that happens to be here at 315 West Shadow Bend. Happened to be named by the name Friendswood Baptist. And we're not the church, we're part of the church, but we're the local New Testament assembly gathered here today. And as everybody gathered around him, Jesus began to open his mouth and he taught them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Before I continue, abundance to the poor in spirit. Abundance to the mourners. Abundance to the meek. See, sometimes we see that word blessed, and, and you know, like it's you, some translations have happy, or they have joyful, or you know, be happy or be joyful. And Jesus is he's saying, hey, I'm pronouncing this blessing, and, and, and as I think about it, it's he's saying to those who are in scarcity, the poor in spirit, the ones who are mourning, right? Why are you mourning? You're grieved over something. You're grieved over loss. You're grieved over the tragedies of this world. You're grieved over Ukraine's atrocities or Russia's atrocities in Ukraine. Let's say it that way. You're grieved over uh, the, 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 the conflicts in the Middle East. You're grieved over the news. You're longing for righteousness, but... You don't see it, so you're mourning. Abundance to those. He says, the poor in spirit, they get the kingdom of heaven. The mourners, they shall be comforted. The meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Abundance to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness sometimes has such a religious undertone to it, doesn't it? But let's just think about justice. People who want a fair trial, fair treatment, equitable in all ways. 
a society. Abundance to the merciful. Abundance to the pure in heart. Abundance to the peacemakers. He continues, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he turns, and instead of saying all these things in third person, he turns to second person and he says, Blessed are you. This isn't theory. This isn't a supposition. This is something that uh, the church has faced. Blessed are you when they revile you and they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Even in that day, you can rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. And we talked about this before. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It would say, so you're in good company. That's a good sign. The uh, false prophet doesn't often get persecuted, does he? No, the false prophet's slick enough to know how to work the system, to say the things that the people in power want to hear so that they are not persecuted. But it's the, uh, the true prophets, the prophets who come speak truth to power, who don't say the nice thing, who don't say the comfortable thing, who don't say the convenient thing, that often are thrown in jail, like Jeremiah, thrown into a cistern, left there to rot, to die. Blessed, abundant. He pronounces, he pronounces these Blessings, this abundance upon those who are in scarcity. And of course, there's so much that's been written over this. Like, what is going on here? Is he just being a clever, uh, you know, preacher, uh, a, a, a clever person using rhetoric? Right? Let me just, let me, you, you think you're, you're poor in spirit, but you're really blessed. Like, is he just, is he just hand-waving, right? Oh, Despite the evidence to the contrary, you're really a blessed individual. It's like whenever somebody comes up to somebody who's grieving, who's mourning loss, and then they want to say something to get their minds and their hearts off of it, and it's a pithy platitude, and everybody who's been on the receiving end says, <laughs> get out of my face. I don't need... I don't need a pithy platitude. I need somebody to say they see me. Is Jesus just offering some pithy platitudes to the church? Hey, don't worry about it, church. Put your head in the sand. Everything's going to be all right. He pronounces blessing, pronounces abundance over those who are in scarcity. And for a moment, before we talk about what this abundance is, let me ask you this. Have you felt yourself in scarcity? I've shared with you as a pastor of Prince Baptist Church, and during the last year that we've endured, I've found myself in a place of scarcity. Fear, anxiety has crept in. Kind of like, oh, no, we can't, well, we can't do this. We, we, well, this idea of like wanting to bring everything in close to the, to the vest. Hold it in, white knuckle grip it, don't let it go. People come to you and say, hey, listen, we left this church a long time ago, and we left in hurt, and we've questioned that decision all these years, and we've been in your church for the last four years now, and we feel like it's time for us to go back there and make things right. Scarcity. That, that, just so you'll know, that's an actual thing that's happened this last year. Scarcity mindset. Don't let them go. How dare you? You've made your home here. Pastors have done that, have they not? 
Maybe you've had that happen to you. Well, if you go, if you're not for us, you're against us. Thanks be to God. He says, Macaulay, you don't have to hold on. Because I'm not a God who deals in scarcity. I'm a God who deals in abundance. And you can let them go and you can let them go in peace and you can still fellowship with them and you can still find w times to uh, pray with them and to you know, walk with them and to serve with them. And guess what? Now y'all just have a bigger C church rather than just a little C church. Oh, thanks be to God. I've experienced it. Have you experienced it? That's the question that I have to get you to kind of think through here. Are you experiencing it right now? Maybe it is physical, material scarcity. Maybe it's spiritual scarcity. Have you experienced it? Are you a mourner? Are you poor in spirit? Are you trying to be merciful and you're giving mercy to people and people aren't giving mercy to you? That will create a scarcity mindset, won't it? I, you, I can tell you this. I've heard from people that have said, man, I am sick and tired of being the one who is always thinking about the other and reaching out to them and checking on them. And nobody reaches out to me and checks on me. Or it seems like in the group text that, 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 that whenever it's gone quiet for a while, uh, I'm the one who chirps up and says, hey, how's everybody doing? And that doesn't happen on my end. I've been merciful to people that have not received mercy, scarcity mindset. Guess what? I'm not going to give mercy anymore. I don't have any more mercy to give. Jesus says to those who are pouring out to those who all the evidence in front of them says you don't have enough. To those who, 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 whose natural inclination would be to rise up in fear and anxiety. I don't see righteousness flowing down from the court hall and from the judgment seat. What I see is injustice and I see corruption. And do we not see injustice and corruption in our court systems? I don't see justice flowing. I see wretchedness, wickedness, perversion, corruption. I'm anxious. I'm afraid about this. And if nobody's going to be do right in this world, if the way that you have to get on in this world, if it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, well, then I'm just going to become a dog. Jesus pronounces to them and says, there's abundance. There's blessing. Instead of being afraid, instead of being uh, greedy, or instead of being um, closed-fisted, Did I want you to hear this? There's abundance on hand for you. We could say the abundance is the kingdom of heaven. It's yours. It's on hand. But I want to I want to think about what this abundance is from a different perspective. Who's pronouncing the blessing? Who's pronouncing the blessing there? Who is it? Who is it? Y'all are right. Just say it louder. Jesus. Y'all are so scared. Y'all like, Moses. Oh, I meant Jesus. Never going to live that one down. People are going to be thinking about that one for years, aren't they? You know what's funny? Nobody will. You will. Nobody else. Nobody will remember that in like two minutes. And like, you'll be like, oh, man. Remember that one time I said Moses and said Jesus? They're like, no, I don't. But that's how our minds do, don't we? So who's pronouncing the blessing there? Jesus. 
Now let's think about this. Who gathered around Jesus during his ministry? Who were the people who gathered around him with their hands open saying, I need something from him? Would they not be the poor in spirit? Would they not be the meek? Would they not be the ones hungering and thirsting after justice? Who are the ones who didn't gather around Jesus, who were suspicious of him? Right? You had these you had Pharisees, you had Sadducees, you had these religious rulers, you had these people who thought that they had it all right. And in fact, whenever we go through and you read the Sermon on the Mount, and whenever Jesus sets up and he says, listen, I know you've heard it said, like, thou shalt not kill, and I'm telling you it's, it's deeper than that. I think what Jesus is really trying to get at is to say, hey, look, I know that a lot of you are walking around really proud of yourselves because you've never murdered somebody, but I know what's going on in your heart. And you're despising other people. You're despising them for various reasons. And we can apply them to us today. You despise them because they're Democrats. You despise them because they're Republicans. You despise them because they, um, you know, they're open on abortion rights or they're closed on abortion rights. You despise people for all these reasons. And you feel right about it. You feel justified about it. And you think God's really happy that I hate these people, isn't he? And Jesus is going, no, because I said, I don't want you to kill anybody. I don't care if you use your hands or your heart. Don't do it. Yeah, I, I would suppose that there's a lot of people who know how to put on the mask, who know how to show up to churches on Sundays, who know how to give big checks, who know how to you know show up whenever everybody shows up to serve and they have their volunteer shirt on and they're like, look at me, I'm a volunteer. And there's a lot of people who do that and Jesus was saying, and all those things are good and they're right, but they have to come from the right heart. And God doesn't just look on the outward appearance, God sees the heart. The people gathered around Jesus are those who know that they have need, know that this world has need. And they're coming to him, looking for him to be the supply of that need. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, the blessing is here. Because the blessing is Jesus himself, right? Jesus is the blessing. He's the gift. He's the reason why you and I, though we are impoverished in our spirit, we are emotionally beat down, we are psychologically beat down, we are spiritually beat down, you and I who are sitting there and we are longing for renewal, he says, guess what, I'm here, so you are the blessed one. He is the blessing, and that's my supposition is that Jesus is the abundance. I shared a quote with y'all from Walter Brueggemann on Friday, in which um, I'll read it for y'all just to refresh your minds. But he says, uh, when Jesus finally says in John 10 that I have come that they might have life and life abundant, he is reflecting the claims of ancient Israel that the creator God has blessed the earth and has assured that it will produce what is needed for the shared, joyous, common life of all of us. And he says, our challenge is to live in that promise and not be talked out of it by the ideologies of scarcity that are all around us. And I like how he says this. He says, it's a good day's work for the people. Uh, it's a good day's work for the people of faith to choose every day the gift of abundance and to fend off the ideology of scarcity. He says, that's a good day's work. That's, that's a hard day's work right there. They try to fend off that ideology of scarcity, but what we have to remember is Jesus is the abundance. He's the blessing. I want us to think about this a little bit. Because not only does Walter Brueggemann talk about John 10, he talks about the Eucharist talks about the, the Lord's Supper, and he says, really, he says, sometimes we, we fixate and we focus so much on sin, and we should in that, but really, there's another focus that we should pay attention to. 
and it's the abundance of Jesus' life for us. Take, eat, this is my body. Not just a little bit of it, all of it. All of me for you, Jesus says. Why are the poor in spirit blessed? Because Jesus has come and he gives abundantly of himself that which we need. He says, take, eat, this is my body. I'm giving it all to you. Take it up. I mean, think about this. Jesus is offering his body. Sometimes we go, oh, well, I'm going to be really, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm not going to partake because I've not, I, I said, I thought a bad thought, or I've not been in the right spirit. That's, there's a religious piety to that, but let's think about this. That's akin to that thing that we scoff at with Peter whenever Jesus comes to Peter, and he says, let me wash your feet. And Peter says, no, God, you can't be washing my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you won't be clean. And he says, then wash all of me, right? He says, like, we look at Peter, and we're like, how would he ever reject Jesus' gift of himself? And when we don't partake in the bread and the, the cup, isn't that the same thing? Oh, Jesus, I don't deserve you. Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't ask. He didn't say, oh, well, you're the deserving one, so you get it. He says, here's all of me. Here's all my body. Here's all my blood. I'm giving it to you in abundance, and you can come back each and every week, and you can have it, except for in a Baptist church, you can only do it once a year. Five times at most. Because I don't want you growing too familiar with me giving myself away, but that's all our hope is, is that he gave himself all away for you and for me and for this whole world. He's the abundance. So, so like when we think about this, like theologically, and you think about this in, in light of the, the good news itself, it's like you can come before God and you can know that you are a sinner because everybody does wrong. You can also know this, you've, not only have you sinned against others, others have sinned against you. You're not just a sinner, you're a wounded person as well. You're broken. You've been mistreated, mishandled, abused. Some of you, that's a metaphor, and some of you, that's not. You've been taken advantage of. Sometimes that's been outside in the world. Sometimes that's been in the church or in your home where you shouldn't have been taken advantage of. You've been maligned. So yeah, you are a sinner, but you've been sinned against. And so Jesus says, what I want to do is I want to not only offer you forgiveness for your sins, I want to offer you healing for your wounds too. Some people come to Jesus and they need to be brought down a peg or two. And I think that's where we usually preach our gospel from. Oh, you proud, arrogant so-and-so. But a lot of people aren't proud, arrogant so-and-sos. A lot of the people that Jesus needed to proclaim the good news to, the people who gathered to him needed him not to say, you proud, arrogant so-and-so. What he needed to say to them was, hey, look at me. Look up. Look up. Don't keep your head down. You deserve to look right in my face. You deserve me to touch your skin and to sit next to you at this meal and to, and, to, and to mix up my cup with yours. I don't mind drinking out of your cup. I'm not afraid of your germs. Theologically, the abundance is that his life is poured out so that we could receive forgiveness and we could receive healing. And we're given his spirit and his spirit's not given to measure, measure doses. Oh, you get, you get a teaspoon and you get a tablespoon. No, the spirit is given to us. It just flows abundantly. So we can think about that theologically. Jesus is the abundance. He's the reason why the blessing can be stated. He could say to everybody who's mourning, guess what? Your mourning days are over because I'm here. The king of kings and the lord of lords, the liberating king of all the earth is here. So dry your eyes, because I'm here. 
And he didn't say, I'm going to take away your morning and night. I'm going to take away all of your, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the need for your mercy and the need for your peacemaking. He said, I will be abundant to you right here in the midst of you pouring out your tears. And you pouring out your life and compassion and mercy. And you being meek. And you being wise about how you are going to handle your temperament. Jesus is the abundance. He's the blessing. He's the blessing for us to receive. And many of us, I would, I would dare say, you have received that. You've, uh, you, you've accepted that Jesus is the abundance. He is the blessing. And so we not only think about it theologically, we can think about it practically. See, the interesting thing about Jesus is when he says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, Jesus wouldn't have thought himself any other way than one who was poor in spirit and relying upon God the Father and God's Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? See, Jesus didn't go, hey guys, I got this all figured out. What he would often do whenever he went up into a mountain, often he would go up into a mountain and he would pray. And he would say, God, listen, I need, I need, because I put on flesh and blood, and I, just like my brothers and my sisters, I need you. Remember what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh, Father, is there any way for this cup to pass from me? That's not an example. That's not a metaphor. That's not an image. That's what the text tells us happened because in his humanity, he said, I do not want to have to go the way of the cross. Nevertheless, if I have to go the way of the cross, I'm going to go the way that you want me to go. And the way that you want me to go is not by reviling those who revile me and scoffing against those who scoff against me and calling down judgment against those who judge me, but by going patiently and peacefully and sacrificially to the cross. If that's the way you want me to go, Father, I will go that way. I will go that way. Jesus is the abundance, but he's also the one who shows us that you can live in scarcity and, and receive abundance. And trust in abundance. He was the merciful one who people scoffed at. Why is he having mercy on those sinners and those tax collectors? What's he doing? He was the meek one. And we talk, I, I, I say this a lot, but so many times when we read the Gospels, because Jesus is our hero, I think we hear how a story ends and we're like, oh, Jesus just told them and he might drop. And I bet it wasn't like that at all. I bet in that day, he probably looked like he lost the argument or like he was just a bumbling buffoon. His, Mark tells us that at one point in, early on in his ministry, his mom and his brothers think that he's gone mad. He's gone crazy. And they think they need to come stop him. What are we doing, Jesus? Come outside. We need to talk to you. And Jesus goes, you know who my mother and my brother are? Like this enigmatic statement. That didn't make him look any wiser. See, Jesus is the abundance, but also what we can find that's so abundant from Jesus is, 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 uh, is that he showed us that he trusted himself in abundance and the abundance of the Father and the abundance of the Spirit. Whenever people were maligning him, when people were scoffing him, when people were going, what are you doing? You're crazy. When people were saying, how dare you do that? You're evil. Jesus was steadfast. And he trusted. He trusted in the midst of all that he did not have, that what he had from the Father and what he had through the Spirit was abundant. So he could face the day and say, today... I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be tempered whenever people come up to me and they talk down to me. 
I'm not going to try to prove myself to them. I'm going to submit myself to the righteous judge, my father. And, that God, and God gave him the abundance of strength and humility to do so. That's just one example. But Jesus is the abundance, and he shows us in himself how to trust in abundance, the abundance of God. And so, my brothers and my sisters, that's our task, and it's a good day's work each and every day. That we reclaim, we reclaim the old attested faith claims that said that God has provided this world with everything that it needs. God has provided Friendswood Baptist Church with everything we need. We don't need another thing. If he gives us more, that's just more of what we have to use. But right now, he's given us everything. You are enough. We are enough as Friendswood Baptist Church. Do we trust that we are living in abundance right now? That we have the fullness of God? Oh no, we only have the fullness of God if the pews are full. Baloney. We only have the fullness of God if Macaulay preaches excellent sermons. Baloney. I can promise you that's not the case. We only have the fullness of God if, our, if, if, if everything goes flawlessly in our worship service. Baloney. You and I, we've been gifted the fullness of God right here. And what he's shown us really is, the, is, is that it's not just us. We are part of the big C, the larger church, and that's a beautiful gift. That we get to look beyond our borders and go, hey, we're not in this alone. We happen to worship together every week, but we partner with all of our friends around the, this community because God deals in abundance, not in scarcity. I can apply that to my life. I can apply that to the life of our church. How are you going to apply it to your life? What does the Spirit want you to hear from this? What's the Spirit inviting you to, to trust in? What, what, we asked the question earlier, where are you like having this scarcity mindset? And where does God need to speak into your life and pronounce abundance? And whenever he pronounces abundance, He's inviting you to trust in his abundance. And if you can look nowhere else, you can look to Jesus because he is the abundance, but he's also the one who showed us how to trust in it. And with that, I say, amen. Amen. Let's do this. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And just over the next few moments, I'm just going to invite you to talk to God about what God's talking to you about. Where have you not been trusting in his abundance? Where have you been Anxious, afraid, where have you been? Stingy, not because you're just greedy, but because you've been so scared. You, you, you've been trying to store up for your own self-preservation. What, what's God speaking to you? Where do you need to have his abundance pronounced? Where do you need to trust in his abundance?